0: Anybody ever feel like they're constantly on the run, like constantly going from one thing to the next thing, the next thing, to this priority, to this checklist, to this ball game, to this kid's activity? Yeah, a lot of us, that's kind of the way we live our life, it's just one thing to the next. Life always feels like it's on the run. Uh, we're in the study of, of King David, and we're entering into a period of time when David was on the run. And he wasn't on the run because his schedule was busy. Uh, he wasn't on the run because his job was demanding or his kids were in travel sports. It wasn't that. David was on the run because the current king, Saul, wants, wants to kill him. Right? That's a whole different level of being on the run uh, than what most of us live in. If you weren't here last week, Israel has their first king. It's a guy named Saul. And Saul quickly turns away from God. And so God lifts his spirit and his favor away from Saul and and identifies the the next king who's going to be David. Now, David's not king yet. He's going to be king. Uh, But God begins to show favor to David. And so he begins to accomplish more and to to be respected more and to be revered more by the people. All of this becomes a threat to God. King Saul. What we, what we see in Saul, and we'll see it today, is this deep-seated sort of insecurity in his heart, um, this, this need to be recognized, this need to be first or most powerful, uh, this need for everyone to look at him, and that insecurity drives him to do some pretty awful things. And hopefully. None of us have ever done anything as drastic as what we're going to see Saul doing, but most of us, 99.9 percent of us, have some insecurity somewhere on the inside. Like there's there's pieces and parts of our heart. If we're honest, that we would say, "Yeah, that's that's a struggle for me. I have some insecurity in this particular area." And the people who don't think they have any insecurity actually have some. They just don't admit that they have some. Because all of us, throughout our lives, we wrestle with it. Maybe you don't call it insecurity. Maybe, maybe it's jealousy or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a long-term bitterness or negativity or just kind of a critical way that you've carried with you for a long, long time. Those, those characteristics produce um, damaging relationships, emotions, uh, spiritual relationship with God. All of those weaknesses, insecurities, eventually show themselves in other ways in our life. And that's what we see in King Saul. In chapter 17, uh, we kind of skimmed over last week, David fights Goliath, the giant. If you remember that story, David versus Goliath, the giant story Uh, defeats him with a sling and a rock. That's that's that particular story. Nobody else wanted to fight Goliath. Like the army was waiting for somebody to step up. Nobody wanted to step up. Eventually, David comes to camp and says, Hey, I'll go fight him. He does. He defeats Goliath. And then there's this this short war with the Philistines. And then the conquering heroes are all coming back home. Uh, This is in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine. "'The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, "'with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with tambourines and lutes.'" So they're celebrating, they're conquering heroes, all coming back into town. "'As they danced, they sang, "'Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands.'" Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. "'They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, "'but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And so you kind of feel this tension growing because people are celebrating David and Saul feels like he's been forgotten. Here's some things about insecure leaders or insecure people or people with jealousy type issues or even bitterness, uh, long-term bitterness in their life. One characteristic is that insecure people can't celebrate someone else. There is a need within some people to be recognized, to be applauded, to be upfront, to be at the top, to be seen as the smartest person in the room or the most clever person in the room or the funniest person in the room. And so they struggle to really celebrate the accomplishments of somebody else. It's a good thing to kind of monitor in your own heart. Just kind of watch what happens in you when somebody else gets celebrated. And, and maybe more specifically, what happens in you when somebody gets celebrated in a way that you want to be celebrated? Like they're celebrated for something that you want people to recognize you for. How does your heart manage that? Is your heart okay with that? Are, are you able to cheer for somebody else even though it's an area that you, you kind of want to be cheered for. I mean, I don't think it's always terrible to, to want applause, to want to be recognized until it gets to the level of like, I can't ever celebrate somebody else because I feel like that takes something away from me. That's what we have in Saul, completely unable to celebrate this other person or even to put what's happening in some context I mean, you, you would think kind of a balanced person would, would be able to look at this and say, you know what, the whole Goliath thing was, was pretty crazy. I mean, like that, that was an awesome thing. I mean, I get it. That was great. I totally understand why everybody would celebrate David. I'm going to celebrate David. It doesn't take anything away from me. It doesn't diminish me. But Saul, in his insecurity, is unable to bring this sort of context to what's happening. All he knows is, they like him, that must mean they don't like me. Another quality of, of insecure people are leaders. Insecure people exaggerate the threat of successful people. Like they don't just they don't just not like someone else being celebrated, and they and they don't just see it as a threat. They see it as a as a huge threat to them personally. We we read this, but let me read it again. Saul speaking says, they've credited David with tens of thousands. Remember, they were saying, well, Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his tens of thousands. They've credited David with tens of thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Come on, that's a pretty big leap, right? From singing a song to taking over. And and we know that ultimately, he is going to be the next king. Insecure people, though, have this way of exaggerating the threat of worst-case scenario. Well, because of this, then that means that I need to be careful, then they're up to something. What are they doing behind the scenes? What are they trying to work out that I don't know about? Insecure people and leaders exaggerate the threat. Here's another example from verse 12. Saul was afraid of David... Because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. There's this snowball effect that starts to take place in Saul's heart because Every time he sends David away to do something, David succeeds. Like every battle, every campaign, every leadership opportunity, David is successful. Then the people rally around David and Saul gets more insecure and angry and afraid and intimidated. And this just gets to rolling in Saul's heart that he can't take it anymore. Everyone else around David loves David. Except Saul. Saul's son is David's best friend. We're going to see in just a minute that one of Saul's daughters is in love with David. She thinks he's the greatest thing ever. All the people feel that way. This is verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Except one insecure guy. One insecure guy that had the power to make life really, really miserable for David. You know, if everybody else has a positive opinion and you're the only one in the room that has a negative opinion, you may not know more than everybody else. I mean, it could be that everybody else is right and you're misperceiving something. Saul never asked that question. Saul never said, well, maybe they're right and I'm wrong. Maybe David's not that bad of a guy after all. Instead, This feeling of intimidation and being threatened just continued to grow. Here's another thing about insecure people insecure people use people. Insecure people use people. They don't serve people, they don't love people, they don't appreciate people, they don't try to help people, they don't try to mentor people. Insecure people use people for their own objectives. And their own goals and their own direction. Case, verse 17. Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. So here's a dad willing to use his own daughter to say, Hey, you marry my daughter. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, well, then I'll have leverage to keep sending David into battle. He'll have to do what I say because he's my son-in-law. So I'll use his relationship to my daughter to keep sending him into battle. And surely if I send him into enough battles, eventually he's going to get killed. Eventually he's going to die, which apparently Saul is not bothered by the fact that this would now leave his daughter a widow. Like this crazy mentality of who can I use and nobody's off limits, not even my daughter. David turns down that proposal, but then we find out there's another one of Saul's daughter that's in love with David. This is that story, verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, and then this phrase, so that she may be a snare to him. Isn't that a great dad? Like, "Father of the year. Yeah, I want you to marry my daughter because she is a case, and maybe she will ruin your life.' <laughs> like, like,, what kind of dad is this? I'm going to give her to you. Maybe she'll be a snare. Insecure people use people. They manipulate people to try to get their ends to try to get their goals. They don't, they don't love people. They don't serve people. They don't care about people. They don't build up people. And here's a dad willing to use his own daughter for his ends and, and having no concern that when my son-in-law is dead, then that's that's going to be difficult on my daughter. In uh, chapter 19, verse 1, the Bible says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. So, to, now it's just scorched earth approach, right? Anybody he knows, I want you to kill David. I want you to kill David. Anybody, I want everybody kill David. This is an insecure person. Just trying to use people and manipulate people to get accomplished what he wants to get accomplished. Another characteristic. Insecure people lose sight of the goal because they're so consumed with themselves in fighting the wrong enemy. They lose sight of what they really are supposed to be doing because they take all of these attacks personally. They see everything as a threat, and so they're they're too busy fighting this over here to be focused on what they're actually called to do, what they actually should be doing with their lives. We're not going to go through all of the stories, but what happens next is David marries Michael um, And then Saul sends soldiers to their house to kill David, apparently in front of his daughter. He's not concerned about that at all. Michael, his daughter, deceives the soldiers and her father. David escapes. Uh, David's on the run. Saul tries to kill David twice before that with a spear. Then for the next 10 or 11 chapters, David's running from place to place. From city to city to mountain to mountain to cave to valley to this wilderness to that wilderness. For 10 or 11 chapters, David's running from place to place. Some really fascinating stories about what David does just to stay alive. Stories that he tells people he pretends to be all in an attempt to stay alive. This goes for 10, 11 chapters. Saul's just chasing and chasing, and David's running, and Saul's chasing. And every time I read this part of the story, my question is always the same: like, who's running the country while this is going on? Well, while Saul is consumed with this person, who's really not his enemy, while Saul is consumed with this person, like, who's, who's back at the palace? Interesting story in uh, chapter 23, David's running down one side of a mountain, Saul's running up the other side of the mountain, gaining ground on David and his men, and in the middle of this pursuit, a messenger shows up from the palace and says, hey, Saul, um, you know the Philistines, the people you're actually supposed to be fighting, they're all attacking our home. Could you come back and be the king and fight for us and do what you're actually supposed to be doing? Insecure people often get so distracted with what they perceive as threats and personal attacks that the the very agenda that they should be carrying out doesn't get carried out because they're too busy fighting the wrong enemy. They have difficulty even identifying the correct enemy because they're consumed with themselves and they're consumed with their reputation and their name and their fame. Now, the easy part of the story is identifying what's wrong with insecure people, right? That's kind of an easy one. We, we, we've all rubbed shoulders with enough of them, right? As a matter of fact, as, as we're going through this morning, some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, that sounds just like I used to work for him, right? That, that's the person who was in the cubicle down the hall, it's easy to identify this in other people. The, the more challenging aspect of the story is what do you do when you're on the other side of that person? What if you do if you're in David's perspective or in David's position? What, what if you do if through no fault of your own? What, 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 if you, what do you do if just trying to live your life and, and, and do what you're supposed to do? There is someone that treats you this way, and I think, if we're honest, we all can kind of guess what that's like, if you haven't experienced it. It's no fun. Like, if you're underneath a a, a jealous, insecure person who thinks that you're the enemy and you're not the enemy, that's not a lot of fun. And, And there's frustration, and there's discouragement, and there's loneliness. And David felt all of that. David felt all of that. I mean, imagine, he's lost his family, he's lost his wife, he's lost his security. As far as he knows, he's lost his future. Like, has yes, no, what is God up to? Like, this is not what I thought was going to happen when Samuel said I was going to be the next king. I did not think this is the way things were going to play out. He's confused, he's lonely, and yet his response is an incredible pattern for us when we find ourselves not just dealing with insecure or jealous or negative people but just when we find ourselves in difficult situations here's one of the things that David does one of his responses David speaks honestly and passionately to God in 1 Samuel chapter 22 verse 1 we read, David left Gath, he's running. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Physical cave, he was actually in a cave, but kind of metaphorical as well. That all of this running has landed David in an isolated, lonely, dark place, right? We've most of us have been in the cave before. Like We've run and run, and we're exhausted, and we're at the end of ourselves. David ends up in the cave, and one of the things he does from the cave is he's just, he just gets really honest with God about what he's feeling, about his emotions. The book of Psalms is that really big book in the middle of the Bible. If you open your Bible up to the very middle, it's probably going to open up to the Psalms. It's the largest book in the Bible. It's 150 chapters. The thing about the Psalms that's different from some of the other books, it's not chronological. Where it's placed in the Bible doesn't come chronologically, and the chapters of the book of Psalms aren't chronological. You don't start with one, and then you progress chronologically to 150. They're random prayers and poems and songs that just different people wrote, and they all got collected in this one book, some of them were written by Moses and some of them were written by uh, a worship leader, a guy named Asaph, and just various people contributed. And some of these poems or prayers or songs were written by David, particularly Psalm 142. And you're welcome to look there or, or follow along on the screen. Psalm 142 begins like this. It has a, it has a heading a maskiel, which just means a poem or a piece of literature, a maskiel of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. This is what we know. What's about to happen, what's about to be said, originated when David was at the bottom, when David was in the cave of Adullam, in the dark, alone. Here's what he says I cry aloud to the Lord, I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint, before him I tell my trouble. In other words, David's like, God, get ready, because I am about to unload on you. I have had it, I'm tired, I don't understand this situation, I don't understand these circumstances, I don't know why it's happening to me, so I am about to unload both barrels on you, God, I'm about to complain. He goes on, verse 6. Look and see, or verse 4, look and see there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Verse 6, listen to my cry for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me for they are too strong for me. It's like I can't take it anymore. I can't, ta- I, can't, I can't make it another day. I am out. I'm spiritually depleted. I'm emotionally depleted. I don't understand why this is happening. I am Done. And David takes all of his complaint and and all of his frustration and he gives it to God, which is really the whole point. It's that in our darkest times, in the cave, in the difficult moments, whether they're self made or, or, or not of our own making, it's okay to feel what we're feeling and it's okay to say what we're feeling. We just need to say it to God, like God can handle it. Like when we say, God, I don't get it. God, I'm angry. God, why? It's better to take that emotion to God than to allow that emotion to move us away from God. And that's generally the two options. I'm either going to take what I'm feeling and what I'm feeling is legitimate I really have these emotions. I really don't understand. I'm really angry. I'm really afraid. I'm really whatever. I'm going to take that emotion, and that emotion is either going to drive me away from God, or I'm going to bring that emotion to God. And I'm going to say, God, I don't understand, but this is what I'm feeling. This is what's in my heart. This is what's weighing me down. David got honest and passionate before God, and the reality is we all log time in the cave, all of us, right? If you live very long at all, you're going to log time in dark places that don't make sense, and you don't understand, and frustrate you, and discourage you. We all log time in the cave, and we all have the decision to make. Am I going to take what I'm feeling to God, or am I going to allow what I'm feeling to push me away from God another thing he did David confessed that his hope and strength and refuge all of that was in God he he didn't just pour out his complaint he didn't just get honest about what he was feeling but he spoke what he knew to be true David didn't allow these emotions that were real, that were legitimate and justified, but David didn't allow those negative emotions to override what he knew to be true deep inside. You see, David still knew some things about God. Even though his life wasn't working out the way he thought it should have worked out, even even though he was frustrated and tired and, and angry... David still knew some things about God. And David gives us this great example that in those moments, sometimes it helps to just speak those things out loud, to say the things we know to be true. Back to Psalm 142, he's pouring out his complaint. And then in verse 3, he says, When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. David's like, I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But in spite of what I'm feeling, I know that you're still there. And I'm going to speak that out. I'm going to say this out loud. You are still here. You are still my refuge and my strength. I don't feel strong. I don't feel like I'm in a refuge. But I'm not going to let my feelings override what I know is true about you. In verse 5, David says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. This is true. Whether I feel that it's true right now or not. So I'm just going to say it. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to say it out loud. You are my strength. You are my refuge. You are my power. You are what I need. Psalm 57 was also written during this same time period. And it has a similar sort of context. Here's some verses from Psalm 57 verse 1. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me for in you I take refuge I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I'm going to do it. I'm going to speak what's true, even if I'm not feeling it. A few verses down in verse 7. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens." Let your glory be over all the earth. So after all of the running and hiding and chasing and not knowing and discouragement, David reminds himself by saying it out loud, loud, God, you're still God. Like I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what this situation is about, but you are still God. You are still over the heavens and the earth. You're still reigning and ruling, and I don't get it, and I don't see what you're doing. But I'm going to admit, I'm going to confess, I'm going to say, you are still God. God even uses that phrase, awake my soul. Like, Come on, snap out of it. Come on, wake up. Like, I don't want to stay here in this cave. Like, I, wanna, I don't want to stay here in this discouragement. I don't want to stay here in this depression and anger and bitterness. I want to wake up to who I know God really is and He really is strong and He really is loving. And he really is good. And he really is kind. And I'm going to say it out loud until I believe it again. Until I feel it again. I'm going to keep saying it. Another response from David. David appreciated the people who were with him in the cave. David's in the cave. I'm always amused by the description of the people that come around David. Uh, when he's there. This is uh, chapter 22. I'm going to read the beginning of verse 1 again. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. So his family comes around him, which is encouraging. Like his family comes around, tries to cheer him up, prays with him. But notice this group. All those who were in distress or in debt are discontented gathered around him and he became their commander about 400 men were with him people who were in distress and in debt and discontented and i think like if i'm day if i'm david and i'm in the cave and it's like a bad time for me i'm i'm thinking like god just can i be alone like can you like send those people somewhere else like all uh, all the losers come around david and I think the important part of the passage is not that there were 400, and it's not that they were losers. It's that they were with him, which is, which is what you need in the cave, isn't it? When life is hard and heavy, you need people who will just be with you. I mean, These guys didn't have the answer, obviously. They probably didn't have a lot of words of wisdom. But the one thing they could do is they could just be with David. Sometimes you find in the cave, you don't get to pick who shows up. You know, like like right now, if if I just had you on a piece of paper, like write down when you're at your worst, the ten people you would like to show up. And maybe some of those people would show up. But a lot of times... It's not people you expect. Sometimes God just puts it on somebody's heart, and it's, it's not the one you would have picked or the one you expected, but they just show up, and they're with you, and being with you matters. Pay attention to who's with you in those moments. As you read the story, what you find is these 400 discontented losers in debt guys They accomplished stuff of legend throughout the rest of the story. Just because they came around David and said, Yeah, look, we're here. We'll follow you. Like We're with you. We're on your side. And they conquer enemies and, and set cities free. They do all of these huge things. And they met in David's worst moment. For some of you, you could name people who have become lifelong friends that you met when life was hard. Like, life was hard and they just showed up. Life was discouraging and they just showed up. And they stayed with you. And now there's this relationship long after you come out of the cave. Long after that passes because somebody just said, look, I'm going to be with you. I don't have answers. I mean, I can't solve all your problems. I'm just going to be with you. Pay attention to the people who are with you. And then, second part. Be sensitive to the times that God's gonna tell you to step into somebody's life when they're in the cave. You can't do it for everybody, I, I, admittedly. Like, you can't rescue everybody, you can't be there for everybody, there's not enough time. I, I totally get it, but there are gonna be times when, when you know somebody's going through a rough time, when you know somebody's struggling, you're just gonna feel that prompt. Show up, just show up, just reach out. Just make a phone call. Just send the text. Just go by their house. Take a casserole. Whatever. Just, just show up. Just, just be there. Remember the people who are with you. and Be sensitive to when God's going to send you to somebody. Last thing. I'll do this quickly. In spite of his circumstances, David remained a man of integrity. There's two different times in the story that David has the opportunity to, to, to kill Saul. One of them, David, is again in a cave. And of all things, Saul comes into the cave to go to the restroom, to relieve himself, the Bible says. The Bible tells really real, sometimes nasty stories. So Saul goes in to relieve himself, dark cave. It happens to be the cave where David and all his men are hiding. And all of his men say, this is it. We got him now. David, just walk over there, stab him, cut him, whatever. Go kill him. Like, this is from God. Like, God wants you to go kill this guy. And David goes, I I don't think that's what God wants. I, I don't think that's at all who I'm supposed to be. Another time, later in the story, same thing. David's standing over Saul. Saul's dead asleep. And David knows, this is not who I'm supposed to be. Whenever you and I are on the wrong end of circumstances or relationships or insecure people or jealous people or or whatever, whenever, whenever you and I are on the wrong side of life, we don't get to choose who the other person is, but we always get to choose the person we're going to be. Like David had no control over how Saul was going to react. David had complete control over the man that David was going to be. And even with all that he had been through, all of the rejection, all of the trials and struggles and wanting David to die, David said, "No, there's a certain kind of man I'm supposed to be. Regardless of the circumstances, because let's be honest, we would have all given David a pass. David's men would have given him a pass. Maybe even history would have given him a pass. The way he treats you, the way he talks about you, the things he's done to you, you know he's trying to kill you. He would do the same to you. David said, I can't control any of that. I can control who God tells me to be. And even in the most difficult of circumstances you and i have that same decision to make now the story it's about more than kind of a crazy insecure leader and poor david the story is really about how god is accomplishing his plans even through all of these crazy events because all throughout the story, if you read the story, you find that once God has anointed David to be the next king, there is this shift in balance. And that everything that happens, people lose more and more respect for Saul and gain more and more respect for David. And David's, David's reputation, his honor, his integrity continues to go up. And David doesn't see it because he's on the run. David's getting from city to city and hiding from place to place, and he's in this cave, and he's in that cave, and he's having to make all these decisions. David doesn't see it. But through every wilderness and every turn and every mountain he had to climb and go over, God was accomplishing his plan. We go through times when we're running and when we don't understand and when we're questioning and we're saying, God, why and what does all this mean? God's accomplishing His plan. Of that we can be sure. He's accomplishing His plan in the world and He's accomplishing His plan in you. Even in the cave, even in the darkness, even in the struggles, God is still at work. If you're someone who ended up here today but you've kind of already decided in your heart, like, "I, I don't have any use for God or... I'm running away from God. Like, I don't need God. I don't want God. Let me just be honest. You're not changing anything about His plan. You're just not. Um, you may be cha- changing your ability to benefit from His plan, you may be changing your ability to be a part of His plan. But God's plan's still moving. Like, the, the one who reigns over earth and sky the King of all, He's still accomplishing His plan. And, and if you're someone and you're in the wilderness or you're in the cave or you're on the run, you can be assured that God is accomplishing His plan in you. You don't see it right now, but God is at work. We're, we're going to sing in just a minute that song, The Goodness of the Lord. Is such a great song. We sang it our first Sunday here in the building. That's the first time I'd heard it. It's a song that Kyle introduced to us. The goodness of the Lord is a great thing to sing on our first Sunday. Like We're celebrating. It's our first day. We finally got in here. It's awesome. Lots of people. Ooh, goodness of the Lord. Yes. But this song is true when you're in the wilderness too. Like this song is true when life hurts too. It's just as true. That the goodness of the Lord doesn't fail in the cave as it is in the palace. So I'm going to pray and let's sing. Let's sing like we believe it. Whether our emotions feel it this morning or not, let's sing like we really believe that the goodness of the Lord will never fail us. God, thank you that in spite of where we may be running right now, in spite of where our life may be and what may be happening around us, your will, your, your direction, your goal is being accomplished in us. And that the goodness of the Lord never fails. Never fails. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. When my bones are weak When I cannot stand up Your love will carry me When this fear I'm fighting Feels like sure defeat